Let's read 1 Kings 22, verse 13 out loud together. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would uh, use your word today to, uh, to minister to us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to, uh, to see the truth as the only thing that we should speak. Lord, what your word says is what we should believe and what we should say and what we should teach. Um, Lord, help us to not agree with um, the world when they're becoming more and more politically correct. And, uh, Lord, uh, less biblically correct. Um, I thank you for some, some a semblance of morality in some places. And sad to say, Lord, it's not even in some churches. But I thank you for uh, some parts of the culture that are still fighting for the truth. Um, even though some people aren't saved, they still, because of your, your, uh, your common grace to all men, where we have a conscience with your law written on it, we have an understanding of what's right and what's wrong. But Lord, help us to realize that just because somebody says that this is their truth, that doesn't make it right. Lord, we, we know that there's an objective opinion from Almighty God and it's written down in your word. And so I pray that you'd help us to become submitted to your word and help us to not cave in. And Lord, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that helps us, gives us strength in this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. As a church, we need to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. Amen. That's what God called us to be. Uh, we're not supposed to be going along with the crowd. We're supposed to affect the crowd. We're supposed to uh, be the conscience of our community. Amen. And we need some more Christians that will stand up on the word of God. We got enough people that are weak in this world. We need some strong believers and you have nothing to be ashamed of as a Christian, amen? There's nothing to be ashamed of as a believer in Christ. Get that through your head, if you would, today. Get that in your heart. We have nothing to be ashamed of. The world, with all the things that they're doing, they, need to be, they should be on their faces before God. They need to be. We need revival. We need that in our world. And, uh, but those that are not ashamed are the ones that should be ashamed, amen? And uh, it's being rubbed in our faces all the time. And so you need a shot in the arm today, okay? You need some, uh, some, I'm not saying I'm giving you ammunition. I'm just trying to encourage you, okay? I'm not saying that we need to go out there and, and uh, tear uh, into people. Because we should always preach the truth and speak the truth in love. Amen? But we need to be, uh, we need to be convinced more than ever that what we have in the Word of God is the truth. So the life of Elijah... We read about Elijah a lot in the Bible, but uh, it dominates much of 1 Kings. His life is rich in spiritual content, and there's a lot we can learn from him. Yet there's another prophet who is not as well known, and we find his name in 1 Kings 22. You read it this morning. He's not a big name, but he did some big things for God. In 1 Kings 22, Micaiah preaches the truth and we'll read about it later. But after he preaches the truth, he gets put in jail. He's not a, he's not a big, well-known person. And uh, you'll recall uh, in the glorious history of Israel, King Solomon. You've heard that name, right? King Solomon, Solomon's temple. Remember, David wanted to build the temple, but God said no. And they were still in the tabernacle, but he used his son, King Solomon, to build the great temple. Solomon was probably the, he was the wisest man that ever lived. And he was also probably one of the richest men, if not the richest man to live. And um, his reign was glorious. But his reign as king of Israel concluded with a prophecy that the kingdom would be divided. And after the division, there were ten tribes in the north, which were called Israel. And there were two tribes in the south that were called Judah. And uh, the two kingdoms would eventually go into captivity. Israel would go to Assyria and Judah to Babylon. And before these two kingdoms went into captivity, Israel had a king named Ahab. Ahab and his wife, and you know her name, Queen Jezebel. Jezebel, she, they were not a very nice couple, okay? This was, 
I mean, we've had, uh, you know, we've had some people in our world that are just not, you know, they're, uh, you know, couple and leading countries, not very nice. But King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are probably the worst. The worst, they were definitely, he was the worst king that Israel ever had. Judah in the south, by contrast, at this time, when Ahab was on the throne in Israel, in the south, they had a good king named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was a great man, a great king. One of the five revivals um, that took place in Judah uh, took place during his reign. And normally, the two kingdoms that were divided, they were not working together. They were not uh, normally in an alliance. But during this time, they were working together. One reason for the peace between these two countries, basically two kingdoms, was that Jehoshaphat's son, uh, Jehoram, was married to Athaliah, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Athaliah was wicked, uh, the, the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. She became known as the bloody Athaliah after she killed her grandchildren. It is tragic when the sons of God marry the daughters of men. When an unbeliever, a believer marries an unbeliever. See, this marriage was doomed from the beginning. When the saved marry the unsaved, there's always, always havoc and grief. You might be saying, well, I, I didn't intend to do that. I got saved after I was married. And you understand how difficult that can be. But can you imagine intentionally going into marriage knowing as a believer that this person is not saved? And uh, many times people justify it by saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win them to Christ. Well, don't get married to win them to Christ, okay? Uh, because God didn't call you to do that. I don't believe that that is scriptural. I believe it is, it is against God's word to marry somebody as a believer, to marry somebody that's not saved. First uh, Kings 22, uh, we see Ahab and Jehoshaphat's unholy worldly union. And this is where we pick up verse number one. All right, so you got the background, right? Two kingdoms coming together in an alliance, one good king, one wicked king. Verse 1, And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramath and Gilead is ours, and we will be still, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said in Jehoshaphat, Ahab says, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. Here they come together for political reasons. They agreed to an alliance with Rahab, or I'm sorry, Ahab, uh, Jehoshaphat and Ahab come together for the purpose of taking Ramoth-Gilead. And um, they... Uh, they, uh, you know, this was a good king still, Jehoshaphat, but later he, of course, is condemned for what he did. In Second Chronicles 9, 19-2, Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore, wrath is upon thee from before the Lord. Hey, you could be a good king. You could be a good Christian and get involved with the wrong people, thinking that you're doing it for the right reason. But I'm telling you uh, that uh, Bob Jones Sr. said it's never right to do wrong in order for a chance to do right. Sometimes we think the end justifies the means, and we get pragmatic with things, and we say, well, uh, ultimately it's going to turn out to be the right thing. But it's never, ever right to sin. If you think that, well, somehow it's going to all work out, and, and, and God will be pleased, God is never pleased, Okay? Uh, it is better to obey than to sacrifice, all right? You, see, you remember Saul and the Amalekites, and he disobeyed God, thinking, well, I'm going to keep some things so that God can be worshipped, and we can use these things for God's service and to, and, 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 and to worship God, but it's never right to do wrong in order for a chance to do right. Second uh, Chronicles, uh, we saw that, but although it's not right to align with Ahab, Jehoshaphat did have a heart for God. It is evident here, verse number 5, 1 Kings 22. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Hey, before we go out and do battle together, even though we're in alliance, why don't we ask God what he wants us to do? That is always a good thing. Whenever you have a question about something, 
Don't ask Siri first. Ask God, okay? Ask God what he would want you to do. We have his word. Praise God for that. We have his uh, Holy Spirit living inside of us as a born-again Christian. We need to go to God. We are without excuse if we say, well, I didn't know what God says. Well, I told you. He said, well, I didn't hear you say that. Well, you weren't listening. <laughs> and how many of you ever had that? Don't raise your hand. Had that discussion with your uh, spouse. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I learned what selective hearing is uh, in the last 10 years, okay? And uh, it's not that I'm not listening. It's just that I'm not tuned in, okay? And, uh, I, and I can even agree to something. And you've got to be careful about that. But sometimes we just, we just uh, uh, you know, we, we think that uh, God... Uh, is supposed to somehow write things in the sky. Whack us over the head with a two by four. He's supposed to come and shake us and say, what are you doing? But he does do that through his word and his spirit. You just have to tune in. Listen to what God's saying. Uh, Verse number six, we see um, that uh, uh, I need to go back. He's He's saying, verse number six, uh, we'll read this first, okay. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, okay, look at it. Uh, The king of Israel, who is that? Say with me, Ahab, okay, Ahab. Who's the king of Israel? Ahab. All right, who's the king of Judah? Jehoshaphat, say that if you would. Who's the king of Judah? Jehoshaphat. Who's the king of Israel? Ahab. All right, so verse number six. Then the king of Israel, who is that? Ahab gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? You know, it's like this guy, he's speaking to 400. These are not godly men. These are 400 false prophets. I mean, he might as well have just gotten his magic eight ball out and shaken it. Should I go or should I not? Definitely should go. And uh, these guys say to him, uh, go up, for the Lord shall deliver it unto the hand of the king. Why did they tell him that? They didn't hear from God. They didn't have a word from the Lord. They just wanted to be men pleasers, and they knew what the king wanted to do, and so they told him what he wanted to hear. So there's 400 prophets. But they weren't prophets of the Lord. Ahab liked what they had to say. But then we have a godly king who responds, even though he's not exactly doing everything right by aligning with this man, but he does have a heart for the Lord. Verse 7. And Jehoshaphat, who is that? The king of Judah, said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? What is he saying? Okay, I heard from your 400 pagan (laughs) worshiping prophets here. Do you have a man of God somewhere that we could talk to? You know, somebody that actually knows the Lord? Since we are Israel, Judah, we're supposed to be Jehovah's people. Do you have a man of God that we can inquire and ask him? Then we see Ahab's response. And the king of Israel, who was Ahab. All right, come on, work with me here. Work with me. The king of Israel, who is Ahab said unto Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah, There is yet one man, say it with me, next word, verse 8, Micaiah. There is one man named who? Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, <laughs> for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Hey, when you're doing the wrong thing, Sometimes you don't like what the Bible's saying. Sometimes you don't like what the Holy Spirit's saying. Sometimes you don't like what the preacher's saying. And sometimes we begin to hate people that are telling us to do right when we're doing wrong. We want to know, we want to do what's right, uh, wrong. And then somebody comes along and says, hold on, uh, you know, as my dad used to say, straighten up and fly right. Come on, what are you doing? Get your act together. So then he says here, he's like, I hate him. Verse 8, don't miss it. For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called of an officer and, and said, hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, 
And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, set each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Keniah, made him horns of iron and said, Thus saith the Lord, With these shalt thou push the Syrians until thou have consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it unto the king's hand. All right. Micaiah hasn't showed up yet. Ahab's messenger is prepping Micaiah. He's basically going to say in the next verse, he's going to say, don't, don't upset the king now. The 400 prophets have already prophesied. And this is what they say. So you better not disagree with them because that's who the king wants to hear from. They said what the king wants them to say. Go along with the crowd. Don't stick out like a sore thumb. Don't go against the, you could put any word in there, but what were you thinking? The current, the grain, the flow, right? Don't go against the, the men of God. Hey, just because 400 preachers say something's right doesn't mean it's right. That's why we bring our Bible to church, amen? Because even this preacher has gotten it wrong before. But by God's grace, I'm trying to do what I... Follow the Word, amen? Just follow the Bible. If you follow the Bible, you can't be wrong. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. We need to study the Word. Study it. What does it say? Not just what one verse says, okay? That's where you get into false teaching. But what does the whole counsel of God's word say on this matter? Amen? And so we see um, what Micaiah the prophet is saying here. I don't want to miss this. All right, so verse 13. I already kind of told you what it said here, but let's read it. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah, remember Ahab said, go, go get the prophet. Go get him. I know what he's going to say, but go get him. He says, speak unto him, saying, uh, and Micaiah, he says to Micaiah, come on, let's go, let's go talk to the king. And he says, behold, now the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. They're in unison. They're in one accord. They agree. He says, let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. Hey, did you notice he didn't say speak that which is true? Speak that which is good. I want to hear some good news. Hey, before you can hear good news, you need to know the bad news. Amen? Hey, there is good news. There's always good news. God always has good news. But that means we have to know some bad news first. What is true? What is right? What is true? What does God think? Now, what does... Any preacher out there think, what, what does YouTube say? That's dangerous. The internet is dangerous in many ways. We get ourselves into trouble on that thing. Looking for the right answers. I'll be honest with you. You know, as we grow spiritually, we begin to discern right from wrong. But for baby Christians, listening to any and every preacher out there espousing their truth and their spin on a doctrine, that is so dangerous. Hey, young Christians, let's get close to somebody that a godly person that you know, <laughs> that you've seen the fruit of their life. Not just some, some Joe Blow that's on there to make money, okay? Monetize their videos and they, you know, send me a thousand dollars and I'll send you a prayer hanky and all that type of, the old, the old school style, you know, televangelist. You know, all these people, a lot of this is a grift, okay? They're making merchandise of the gospel. So you got to get to know some Christian, real Christians. Get to watch their life. Say, is the product, is the, is it, is the proof in the pudding here, are, are, are they actually bearing out the fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit in their life? Be selective. So he says, end of verse 13, you see it there. Hear the messenger. The messenger knows what the king wants. Come on, speak that which is good. 
Verse 14, And Micaiah, here a man, a prophet with a backbone, and Micaiah said to this messenger, Hey, (laughs) I hear what you're saying, but as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. I've got that verse highlighted in my Bible. It's a good verse. Because it's what we should be doing ourselves. Speak that what the Lord has said to speak. In the Gospels, there's crossover. Uh, we read about the feeding of the 5,000, actually in four of the Gospels. There's a lot of crossover, a lot of the same stories, um, which, you know, we can go into more of that. But there, there are many parallel stories. Uh, but in the Old Testament, that's not as common. However, there's a parallel account in First Chronicles 18. And I, I read this, what this verse says there is basically the same story, but First Chronicles 18, 13, he says the same thing as he says in 2 Kings 22, 14. In 1 Chronicles 18, 13, Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. This man could not be bought. This man was a man of God. And we need to be men and women of God. Let's say, thus saith the Lord. We can love people. You don't have to be ugly and mean to tell the truth. But because we have the truth, we have to speak the truth. First, Chron- uh, uh, sorry, First Kings 22, verse 15. So he came to the king, and I, and I thought this is funny. I, I really had to study this out. I was wrapping my head around some of this, but verse 15. So he came to the king and said, King, uh, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? I mean, not go. And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it unto the hand of the king. <laughs> like, wait, hold on. They're not supposed to go to Ramoth Gilead, but why is he telling them to do it? Because he's being sarcastic. He's being sarcastic. He's like, this is what you want to hear, so I'm just going to tell you. Sometimes there's no point in telling somebody the truth when you know that they're not going to do it anyways. It's not, I don't know if that's exactly what's in his heart. I don't want to read into it too much, but he's being sarcastic. Because verse 16 uh, he says, stop, you know, Ahab's like, stop, I told you a million times to tell me the truth. Don't lie to me. Verse 16, the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? That goes to tell you that Ahab knew what was right. He is guilty before God. He knew it was right. And there's, there's many times we know what's right. We just want to find, that's why we go to, we, we troll people. We go on the internet, we talk to people. We find people that, you know, who's going to agree with me? Because I want to do this. I really want to do this. So, and, and, ah, I don't want to hear from the preacher. I don't want to hear from that Christian. I don't want to hear from them. I don't want to hear what the word of God says. Hey, that's like, get around some mature Christians that have actually lived the Christian life, that have actually produced something in their life. And listen to what they have to say. That's called wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. With all that getting, get understanding. Wisdom. Wisdom. Buy the truth. Sell it not. We need wisdom. So he says, all right, I told you, stop. <laughs> Tell me the truth, man. I mean, just get this out of the way. Not, you know, he's like, let's stop doing this dance. Every time you come around, you know, <laughs> I told you, tell me the truth. Because I, I know I'm supposed to hear the truth, all right? And he says in verse 17, he said, and here's what Micaiah says to him, and it's a long passage, so stick with me. Don't fall asleep now. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. He's giving him some bad news here. Verse 18, the kings of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab? that he may go up and fall at Ramath Gilead. And one said unto this manner, and another on, this other man, on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I will 
be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these uh, prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, the son of Canana, uh, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord for me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back unto Amnon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in the prison, and feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction, until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. He said, This is true. This is going to happen. And the king knew it. The king didn't want to hear it. So he said, Put him into prison. No bread, nothing but bread, I'm sorry, and water until he returns safely from battle. And that's the last we hear of Micaiah. By the way, before the end of chapter 22, Ahab dies in battle. Just as the Lord said. So maybe it's surprising that this story is sometimes skipped over in Sunday school because we're told about Moses and Elijah, great prophets. But there are many others like Micaiah in the Bible who followed the Lord, they obeyed, and every command that God gave them, and they were rewarded with jail. We think about Joseph. Joseph was put in prison for being a man of integrity. A man of integrity. Asa, the king of Judah, got so mad with Hanani that, uh, for telling him the truth that he put him in prison, just like Micaiah. Jeremiah told the truth. He was put in prison. Daniel spent a night with the lions for praying. The three Hebrew children went to the fiery furnace for taking a stand for God. John the Baptist preaching in rage, Herod Antipas, so he got put into jail. Jesus was put into jail. Peter was put in prison for preaching the gospel. Paul was put in prison for preaching the gospel. John was exiled for preaching about Jesus. So regrettably, telling the truth is sometimes a dangerous thing to do, and that's why we lie. And that's why many times we, we begin to trim the message, we water things down especially, it's hard to do this, it's hard to do right, especially when we are coming up against long-standing opinions and understanding of how things are supposed to be, and that's how our culture is going. There is so much pushback against right today, against truth. It's hard to find people that will even agree with some of the most basic things, like the biology of a male and a female. What is a woman? There's so much that is being, we're being lied to on so many levels by people that know better. This is, this, is a, a, this is really a mental illness. This is a disease. This is a sickness, I would say, of the mind, but it really is a sickness of the heart. Sin. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And uncovering lies can lead to the loss of friends, the loss of family, the loss of career, even the loss of life for some, people are still being put into jail for telling the truth. George Orwell said, telling the truth is an environment of de- uh, in an environment of deceit is a revolutionary act. I, you don't have to go very far to get into trouble for being honest or telling the truth today. Just being a person of, a person of integrity will get you marked. You will be a marked person at work. And by the way, I'm not going to paint a, t- a totally bleak picture because being a person of integrity will also get you promoted. <laughs> so trust the Lord in all of this. Trust the Lord in all of this. But you're going you're gonna to have people that, you're always going to have people, at least on the fringe, that are going to try to take pot shots at you to take you out because you don't fit their system. I talked to Brother Steve about this a while back. When he had another job, went against the union and the way things were, 
and the way things are supposed to be. And some of you have that, especially here in this city. We have a lot of unions. And, all that, and I'm not saying that it's always 100% wrong or bad, but I'm going to tell you right now that there's a lot of pressure, and you know that, but we need to not cave in. We need to stand for what is right. Stand for what is right. Stand for what is right. I love what Micaiah said. As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. It may not be pleasant, but I'm going to say it. It may not be prudent, but I'm going to say it. It may not be pleasing to the ears. It may not be good for me to hear that or for them to hear that, but I'm still going to say that. I'm still going to say the truth. It may not be profitable, but I must speak the truth. I may not get a promotion, but I'm going to speak the truth. I will not be intimidated by the king. What God says to me, that I will say. Sometimes we see things going on and we are baffled that nobody is saying anything. Sometimes we begin to think, am I wrong? Why is it that none of the good people that I looked up to are saying anything against this wickedness? But my friend, thank God for the objective truth of his word and we have a foundation to stand upon. It's not my opinion. It's not what uh, some preacher that I listen to thinks. It's not what some uh, pundit on television thinks. It's not what some politician says. We have the word of God and thus saith the Lord. And if no, nobody else stands with us, we still should stand. It could be 400 to 1. But praise God, that one was still right. How about all the, the all too common videos of an innocent person being attacked, maligned, whatever, and nobody is coming to their aid. Every able-bodied person is either running away or they're standing around with their phone out. I hate that. <laughs> like we need one more video. We need a generation of Christians that stand against the tide. There are enough weak Christians who are too nice to speak up when Jesus is being slandered or our brethren are being attacked. The scriptures implore us to be kind to each other. But kindness isn't weakness or niceness. It isn't always easy to speak the truth, but I am thankful for a clear conscience and the restful sleep at night it brings. By God's grace, may our conscience be clear before God and men. You know, there's been times where I've said what people wanted to hear. I'm not saying I did that from the pulpit, but... There's been times where I caved in, and I just said what people wanted to hear. And guess what? I didn't sleep well. <laughs> but there's been times where I said what people didn't want to hear, but it was the right thing. And I slept just fine because my conscience was clear. Don't you want that? Now, th these three points I borrowed from another preacher, but there's three points that I thought were good. I couldn't improve on it. But number one, it is better to stand along with the truth. Or I should say, it's better to stand uh, united, united with the truth than to be, or I'm sorry, divided with the truth than to be united with the multitude. I think I wrote that down wrong. But it is better to stand united with the truth, or I'm sorry, divided with the truth than to be united with the multitude. Just because everyone else is doing something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. My dad used to come to my grandpa and say, Dad, in their 2000 um, student high school, there were lots of opportunities for, for sin. And a lot of the students would go and party. And of course, many of those parties involved the keg. And they would have their keggers up on the hill, up on the mountain, where they lived in Missoula, Montana. And my dad, my dad's desire was not to go out and do all of those things, but he wanted to be with his friends. And so he'd come to my, my grandpa and he said, Dad, everybody's going. Everybody's going. You ever been like that? You know, I'm the only one not going. Everybody's doing it. There's lots of opportunities. When you have teenagers, you'll have lots of opportunities to have this interaction. Some of you already, already have had it. Everybody's going. Everybody's doing it. And my grandpa wisely said to him, not everybody's going. 
my dad said, what? Well, who's not going? Everybody's going. Who's not going? He said, you and your brother aren't going, so not everybody's going. (laughs) Just because everyone's doing it does not make it right. Ahab wanted this prophet to come in and rubber stamp, you know. Well, you know, everybody else said 400 to 1. You idiot, come along, get along with, got to go along to get along now. I'm going to throw you in jail if you don't agree with these other 400 preachers. That's okay, because not everybody's doing it. I'm not doing it, because God's not doing it. In Psalm 133, 1, which I love this verse, the Bible says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And we need to do everything that we can, by God's grace, to have unity in the church. Amen? And to be unified, to bear and forbear. We should seek for unity, but it must only be unity that the Holy Spirit can say amen to. Just keep in mind that the majority is almost always wrong. Did you know that? You think about any, any situation, the majority is almost always wrong. In Micaiah's case, it was 400 wrong and only one right. The prophets are all in agreement. They're in consensus. Don't get the king mad. But today, everybody wants uniformity. They want to go along, to get along. To say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven is to say that, and to say that the Bible is the word of God is going against the flow, against the grain. And if you say that Jesus is the only way, they will brand you as a bigot. And you may feel all alone, but you are correct. Jesus is the only way because that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. It's not a, a message of rejection. And, it, and, and it's a message of actually inclusion. Because Jesus is the only way. It's an exclusive message. But he receives all who come to him. He will in no wise cast out. God doesn't reject people if they, if they want to come to him. The Bible says, They that seek me early shall find me. If you're looking for God... He will reveal himself to you because he loves you. Jesus died for you. And so uh, (laughs) we can't lie about the facts, about truth, okay? We can't lie about truth and say, well, your way is fine. You can go to God your way, and I'll go to God my way. And we'll just all live together in harmony, and we'll be happy, and we can coexist All the while, you know that Jesus is the only way. You are actually harming that person. You are being unkind to that person by being nice to them. Anyways, I hope you get that. But men of God have always stood alone. Noah had to stand alone when he preached. Elijah stood alone on Mount Carmel against the 450 prophets of Baal. When we stand alone, my friend, don't forget that we are not alone. Think of letter A, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood alone. In a fiery furnace, they were all thrown in. Nebuchadnezzar thought it was their end. But God was there. He never let them go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 3.25, he answered and said, Lo, I see not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not just three. I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Guess who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Jesus was with them in the fire. Letter B, we think of Joseph. He stood alone. He was sold as a slave into Egypt. He went to work for Potiphar, and he could have thought he arrived. Genesis 39, 2, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Oh, then along came Mrs. Potiphar, and Joseph was lied about, thrown into jail when he wouldn't be immoral with this woman. But Joseph kept his integrity and his morality, and he had a clear conscience before God and men. I think of Genesis 39, 21. After he was a prosperous man in Potiphar's house, he was degraded down into a prison and sent uh, to live with the rats and the, and the vermin and all the other wicked prisoners. And God was still with Joseph in prison. Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. What happened? Did, did God forget about Joseph in Potiphar's house? 
No, he was with him all the way. Just because you're a Christian, just because you love the Lord, doesn't mean you're gonna somehow get away without any trial in your life. Because God uses affliction and trial to shape us into becoming more like Jesus. But the Lord was with Joseph. And in verse 21, he was with him even in prison. And the Bible says that he showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And I'm thankful that the story didn't end there in the prison in Egypt because we know that God promoted him up to be second in command of all the world and to save much people alive because God's purpose is greater than our pain. And so we see in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness. I think Joseph could have said, well, you know what? My stupid brother sold me over here to Egypt and, I, and I'm all the way here and, uh, and, and of course God isn't here. I think Daniel could have thought that. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, you know, uh, the three Hebrew children could have thought that when they were under Nebuchadnezzar. God's not here in Babylon. God's not here in Egypt. Because many times we associate our beliefs and our God with our upbringing, with our parents. And sometimes when when that, that generation passes off the scene, we get all befuddled. We lose focus. We lose our, uh, our compass, if you will. We have no guidance. Where are we going? My friend, God has always been. He's your creator. He loves you. Jesus died for you. He's your savior. Just because your guru and your, uh, the ones you love, the people that you looked up to, maybe the preacher uh, that you looked up to fell or died or whatever, but just because somebody in your life is gone doesn't mean that God is gone. Just because you got moved over to Egypt or Babylon or somewhere where you don't want to be far away from what, all is, uh, what was all familiar to you doesn't mean that God somehow is not there because in that situation, God was still with Joseph and he promoted him up to being a very powerful person for his purpose. And he decided there, even at Potiphar's house, I'm not gonna do what's wrong. I'm gonna do what's right. I don't care what this woman does. I don't care what she looks like. I don't care what, what, you know, what this is gonna mean for me. I don't care if it means that I get killed. But I'm gonna do what's right, no matter what. And so my friend, let's not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Let's not do things that are wrong. Let's not get involved with things just because somehow we think, well, God doesn't care. God's not anywhere around. Where's God in my life? God deserted me. He abandoned me. And sometimes we can feel like that. But that just means that God's allowing us to go through something difficult. And so the Bible says, for what fellowship, 2 Corinthians 6, What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord, that means what agreement, hath Christ with Belial? Belial is the God of worthlessness. God is a God of purpose and a God uh, uh, of hope and and, and of integrity and salvation. And all that is good. And what, what fellowship have we who are children of the light with those who are children of the darkness? I'm not saying that you can't work alongside people that aren't saved because all of us have to. I'm not saying you can't rub shoulders or be neighbors. I'm not saying that we somehow go into some kind of a exclusive community and we shut the world out completely. But my friend, we need to understand we can't isolate ourselves from the world, but we should insulate. We should be as careful as we can be with our uh, interactions and fellowships and the places that we go after work and the places that we go in our time off and the place that we go and, and the things that we even do at work. Sometimes it means you need to quit a job because there's some ungodly things going on in that workplace. And my hope for you that is maybe married to somebody that's not saved, you do all that you can to follow the scriptures and love that person for the Lord and bring them to Christ. Not every situation is going to be easy. But he says, what part hath the believer, he that believeth an infidel, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you're the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Let her see Paul stood and go with me very quickly so we can uh, go to lunch here today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, please, please, please turn there if you would. 2 Timothy 4 verse 9, the Bible says, uh, here's Paul, this is the last chapter that Paul wrote in the Bible. If you go to the next page, you see the book of Titus. That's not necessarily the book, the next book Paul wrote. 2 Timothy, the last book that Paul wrote, the last epistle, last letter that we have a copy of in the scriptures. And, and this is right before he's executed. 
for Jesus. And he says in verse number nine, do thy diligence, give him some instructions, do thy diligence come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans, the Galatia, Galatia, Titus, Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. He is profitable uh, to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left in Therese with Carpus, when thou comest, bring it with thee. And the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And my first answer, no man stood me. Well, the first time he went to court, He's talking about his trial that he had. He said, the first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Wow, think about this man who could be totally bitter because of those that said that they believed what he believed and stood with him at one time, but they forsook him when things got hard and difficult. I think of like Jesus. Paul here went to court. Nobody was with him to sit in the gallery to just stand there with him at his side to advocate for him. But Paul says, I, <laughs> I forgive them for what they did. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Verse 17, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. Hey, like I said, when you stand alone, you are not standing alone. Praise God for that. Jesus is with you. And my friend, if we would all just come together in agreement, in unity around the word of God and the Lord and, and the word, and we stand on truth in this day and age, thank God for the church. God knew we would need a church, and so you need the church, and the church needs you, as we talked about last week. But you need to, you need to be unified with this body of believers, and you need this church. You don't know it now, but there's going to come a point where you're going to feel all alone. And, and, and when you've deserted the church, you're not going to have a church that knows about your problems. Not that we don't care, but we don't know about it because you're not here. Be here. Be a part of what's going on at this location with these people, wherever we may be, with God's people. He says there, notwithstanding, verse 17, don't miss this, please. I know some of you probably didn't even turn, but 2 Timothy 4, 17, notwithstanding, no matter what happened, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll stop there. But we see that Paul had to stand alone Number two, it is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. We're not called to be loved by everybody, but to bear the reproach of Jesus. As you read the Bible, you will not find anybody that stood for truth that was loved by everybody. It was impossible. It's impossible for us to be taking a strong stand and still be loved by everybody. You're going to have family members that turn their back on you. I'm sorry, I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching the popular message that is being preached today where come to Jesus, everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows and flowers and, and glitter and all that. Because the truth of the matter is Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to face persecution. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Why would anyone turn back? Because it gets difficult. It gets hard to follow Jesus sometimes. Not because he's wrong, but because when we, when we stand on the truth, we are going against the tide and it's difficult. And by the way, it's impossible in our flesh. That's why we need, we need, uh, we need the Lord. We need the church. And so uh, number three, lastly, it is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than to tell a lie that comforts and then kills. Proverbs 27, verse 5, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kiss of, kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I hate it. I hate it. I hate when people uh, <laughs> tell lies to me. I just hate being lied to, don't you? I hate when people lie to me. I just want to know the truth. Sometimes I don't want to hear the truth, but I want to know. I, 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 it's just necessary for us. And I'm thankful for preaching. Sometimes we don't enjoy uh, getting our toes stepped on. But if you're a believer and if you love the Lord, you are thankful for that conviction that comes from the Spirit. And we need to confront and love more often. We need to do what the Holy Spirit does to us. He's doing a work on the inside, but he uses us to help do some of that work on the outside too. 
Uh, that's why we have an assembly. We should come together and confront in love at times. Uh, that needs to be done. More times we tiptoe around people who have problems rather than help them. Sadly, many people would rather complain to the pastor or about another church member or worse, gossip and gripe to another church member than to lovingly face their fear and confront the problem. We need to be willing to go up to somebody when we know that they've done wrong, whether it's against us or against somebody else, and if somehow uh, that, that has affected us and, is our, it, and our number has been called to, to, uh, to talk to them, hey, go up and confront them in love. There's some growth that needs to be uh, had in some of our lives. We, we don't want to deal with problems. We want somebody else to deal with the problems. But being a truth uh, a person with the truth means that we have to confront at times. Number one, we need to do this without hypocrisy. Hey, I think one of the reasons some, sometimes people don't confront other Christians, why do brethren not deal with the sins in other brethren, brothers' lives, is because we know if we go and talk to them, we're going to deal with some of the sin in our lives. If we're honest. And then there's still some people that have the beam in their eye, and they still go and try to deal with the moat. And so, so don't do it with hypocrisy. Number two, in love. We need to do this in love, not self-serving. Don't go up to people and try to fix their problems because they're annoying you, okay? Sometimes we just, I'm going to straighten everybody out. I hate it. They're so annoying. Sometimes it's you that needs to change, okay? Sometimes it's me that needs to change. Humility, love, all those things go hand in hand. Not self-serving, but for their good. If you have their good at heart, their best interests at heart, I believe that that is the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God says, I want to help these people grow. I love these. These are my children. I love them. I love this church. I love, this is my, this is, my, this is, these are my people. And, and, hey, there's a problem here, though. The Holy Spirit is working in their heart, and he calls out sometimes the pastor and many times other people that are aware of the problem to go and lovingly confront them for the purpose of that other Christian being built up and edified and grow. Not because they, oh, this person's going to you know, give us a bad name. <laughs> They're going to give us a bad name as a church. They look bad, you know. They make us look bad. I don't like that. No. You know, I, I'm glad that we have sometimes broken people that come through those doors. Because Jesus wants to heal the broken. He wants to fix them. Because he loves them. It's okay. It's okay to have some people that are just, you know, they're not exactly the kind of people that we want to advertise that come to our church. Hey, who did Jesus hang out with? He wasn't hanging out with the Pharisees, I'll tell you that much. Uh, when we are confronted or admonished, we should take what we are being told with grace. Don't focus on defending. This is now an admonition to you. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, there's a problem here, and, and, and they're, uh, uh, you know, getting on our case a little bit, don't focus on defending, but focus on growing. Focus on growing. We need some Micaiahs in our church who will stand up tall and alone. We need some Micaiahs in our society that are going to stick up for what's right. Stand up for Jesus. We sing about it. Why don't we do it? Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift I his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. All right, we'll do that as long as we're at church. But outside of church, oh, isn't that sad? We need some Micaiahs who will stand alone if necessary and speak the truth of God's word. Stand up against the corruption in your workplace. Stand up. You might be saying, that's like taking on the mob, Pastor. I'm not going to do that. I might get, you know, they might put a hit out on me. <laughs> they get a different job if you need to. But, but we need to do what's right. If God has given you the opportunity to do what's right, then you are wrong to not take that opportunity. We need some young men who are going to be men of integrity, not giving into the world, the flesh, and the devil, not going along with the flow. You know, as they say, any old dead fish can go downstream. It takes a live fish to go upstream. Amen? We need some living fish. We don't need any fish. Fishy young men, okay? Uh, that was a term back in the early 2009 when I was growing up. They're a fish. You know what I mean? That was a, a limp, you know, weak. 
We don't need any, any men. Like, we need men that are strong. I'm not saying you have to be macho. That's, that's, a, that's just a front anyways. All right, I don't care what your bicep uh, diameter is. Are you going to stand on the word of God and the truth? Are you going to stand for what's right? Are you going to stand against those that are doing wrong, not giving into the world, the flesh, and the devil? We need young men that are willing to be different for God, not ashamed of Christ. Not ashamed. We need some young men who will break from the crowd, who have integrity in their viewing, to find accountability for what they're viewing on TV and the internet, who will not excuse sin, but will stand for godliness and lead other young men around them to do what's right. Boy, my heart is stirred when I see, see young men who are, who are actually living for the Lord on their own. Not because it's popular, not because uh, mommy and daddy are watching or the preacher's watching, I've seen too many 16, 17-year-old young men who have it all together on the outside, but you know they didn't have it all together in their heart because as soon as they turned 18, they hit the door and never came back. We need some young men that are going to be men of integrity and do the right thing for the right reason. We need, by the way, you might be saying it, ladies, you might be saying, get those young men. They need to hear about this. Amen. Because that's where we got to start. We need some men. But then we need some young ladies who will stand up and be holy and godly in their attitudes to not be pressured into settling for second best, but waiting for God's best when it comes to a husband. All God's people said, amen. I'm in my own sermon. We need some young people who will stand against the pressure of society that is perverting the distinction between male and female. You might be saying older people are like, oh, to be a teenager again. Oh, to be young again. Don't be too envious. Pray for them. They need prayer. It's a different world than what you grew up in. (laughs) I'm not even that old, and it's a different world than what I grew up in. Just because the majority says it's right doesn't make it okay. What does God say? How about you? You know, we don't have a lot of people that come to the altar at times, but I think it would be appropriate for you. If God moves in your heart, you just come up and you stand or kneel. You stand or kneel with those that you want by your side. When things go bad, when the bottom of your life falls out, you want to be with some people that are going to do what's right, that are going to encourage you. Praise God for that but also keep you accountable. We need that. We need that. Amen? Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Standing to our feet with every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I know we took a little extra time here. Sometimes... It's hard for us to focus. And, uh, but I pray that, uh, that your word got into our hearts today. We'd realize that we need to stop critiquing everyone else and take some time to evaluate our position, where we are at spiritually. Are we doing what's right? Before we, before we begin to correct others. But Lord, when we, when we are right with you and we know we have your word, I think it's, it, is, it is commanded of us to stand up against that which is wrong. I pray that we have, some, we have a generation who is being criticized right now. I, I don't like that. But God, there's, every generation criticizes the next generation. But I pray that we would not put them down, these young, maybe the teenagers or young adults, put them down as much as we pray them up. I pray that you would help us to encourage and love one another. I pray that we would stand together at this altar today and in our heart, whatever decision it is that we're making, we would say, Lord, help me to do what's right. Help me to put you first. Whatever specific things need to be dealt with, I I pray that you would have your, your way in this building, in this meeting. I pray for all those that are here, whether in person or online. God, I pray that you would uh, just uh, help us to have a, a better, a, just a better life because of 
some of the decisions that will be made today for your glory. Lord, I, I know that sometimes it's hard to do what's right, but thank you for the clear conscience. Thank you for the restful night's sleep that we get when we actually stand for truth and we do what's right. It doesn't matter if we're sleeping in our bed at home or we might have to go down to a, a jail cell for, at some point. But Lord, there's nothing like knowing that we did what was right and we honored you and we have a clear conscience before you and man. So I do pray that you'd help us with that today to not just raise a bunch of nice, nice children, but children that have some integrity and grit and conviction.